Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. Hey, um, if, we, if, if you haven't been here for a little while, uh, let me just get you up to speed. We're in a series called From Kings to Kings. From Kings to Kings. And, and basically what this is, is in the book of Kings and Chronicles in the Bible, it, uh, it records all of the, um, all the events of each king of Israel. So it tells you all of the things that they did. And, and, and so sort of reading through this, it's kind of like this series is kind of like if they were to give us a message, if, if they were to write us a letter from the royal tombs, from the kings of Israel to the kings at Reedy Creek, uh, what would they tell us? What would they tell us? And so Pastor Ben has, has shared on King David and King Solomon, I've shared on the very first king of Israel, that's Saul, but uh, I have got an absolute cracker for you today. You may not have heard this king before, but I guarantee you'll never forget his story after. Um, We're going to talk about King Joash. Let me just give you some context so you know where we're up to. Now, the nation of Israel was ruled by one king, and that's King Saul. It was, he lost it. It was passed on to David. David then had a son named Solomon. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, under his reign, the king is divided. So now we have two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you read through Chronicles and Kings, you'll kind of, sometimes it's a little confusing to catch up because it'll introduce different kings. And it'll often start with such and such came uh, king, he ruled for such uh, a period of years. He did either one of two things, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did what was evil. In the northern kingdom of Israel, every single one of their kings was evil. Every single one of their kings forsook the word of God and they ended up worshipping the idols of their neighbours, all the other neighbouring countries. But in the southern kingdom of Judah, every now and then a good king would rise up. Every now and then a good king would rise. And so uh, that's the kind of background. We now come, it's about 8th century BC, okay, and we have this king. This king is the youngest king that ever ruled. Uh, either Israel or Judah. And so let's just kick off our scripture with 2 Chronicles chapter, 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 sorry, chapter 20, 24, verse 1 to 2. It says this, Joash was seven years old when he became king. Parents, imagine your uh, grade two uh, daughter or son ending up with all the power to rule the nation that you live in. That's what's happening here. He was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. I'm just going to now refer to him as the priest. His name is too hard to pronounce. Jehoiada the priest. For as long as he lived, the king did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We just pray, Lord God, that we would have ears to hear, that we would just lean in spiritually to hear what you are saying to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This story is like a combination of Netflix's Viking series crossed with Game of Thrones. 
Um, the kind of stuff that you will read in this, you will think, how did that make it into the Bible? Uh, that is definitely not PG. That is really some graphic, messed up, dysfunctional stuff. And, and, and the reason why it is so dysfunctional and messed up, it's because of one king of Israel named Ahab. Now, usually when the Bible introduces a, a king, it says they either do what's right or wrong. Ahab has a whole new introduction. When it comes to King Ahab, he says, there was never a king that sold themselves to evil like King Ahab. Uh, king Ahab was a, just a different level of evil. And on top of that, he marries a witch. Her name is Jezebel. She is a princess uh, from a region where they were idol worshippers. He marries her and she institutes idol worship in the whole nation. And not only that, but she outlaws, she outlaws the worship of the true God. Now, it is into this season that we see the great prophet Elijah and Elisha. But what happens is that a judgment comes to the house of Ahab. And the judgment was in the form of a commanding officer named Jehu. And Jehu's role was to wipe out all the participants in, uh, in the house of Ahab. And, and they get wiped out pretty brutally. Now, you have to remember the kings in those days, they didn't just marry one woman. Uh, they married several women and often had many concubines. So they had a lot of kids. Um, it was said of Solomon that he had something like 700 wives, 300 concubines. And that's messed up. That's really crazy. For a lot of us are just happy with the one. I heard one, peop one person say uh, he married that many women because after work he just wanted to come home and find at least one of them happy. Um, so, uh, 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 so, so, uh, so they had all these wives, and what happened is they had all these kids. Um, Ahab had like 70 sons, and they were all massacred. Uh, they, they, they were all massacred. This is why it's kind of like Game of Thrones, because when they were killed, their heads were put in two baskets, and they were set up at the entrance of the gate, 35 here, 35 there. That's the kind of stuff that's in the, in the Bible. So we get to a point where Ahab and uh, Jezebel, they have a daughter. And to seal an alliance between Israel in the north and Judah in the south, they marry their daughter off with the king of, of Judah at that time. And so his influence has now gone from the northern kingdom down into the southern kingdom. And, uh, and, and it's really, really messed up. Their daughter, her name is Athaliah. She is a chip off the old block. She is as wicked and despicable as her parents, and she institutes Baal worship in the entire uh, region. So we kind of get to this point where there is all of this stuff that's messed up, and the king of Judah, a gentleman by the name of Ahaziah, he is caught up. He is caught up in all of this stuff that is happening in the northern kingdom because of the alliance that they have. And he is caught up, and he is killed in battle. He is killed in battle, and now what would have been the heir to the throne, the, the, the next son, was to come in and take that place, but there is a twist. Like every great story, there is a dramatic twist, and so we're going to read about that twist right now in 2 Kings uh, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. When Athaliah, this is the mother of the king uh, that had just died in battle, she's the queen mother. When Athaliah saw... Um, when the mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. That's right, she killed all her grandkids. She killed every single one of them. But Jehosheba, 
the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah. So this is the princess. She took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. Joash is the youngest of the king's sons. He is a baby. And what happens is, in the midst of all this chaos, all this mayhem, where the queen mother gets up, knowing that her son has just been killed in battle, and she wipes out all of her grandkids. She wipes them up so that she could usurp the throne and establish herself as a queen. When all of this chaos and mayhem is happening, the princess sees it, and she grabs the youngest, this little baby boy, and she hides him. And the Bible says she hides him and his nurse in the house of God. This stuff is really, really messed up. Firstly, uh, I know there are no grandparents that are like that in this place. Your grandkids might get a little bit annoying, but I know it would never get to that level. But, uh, but, but she does this kind of thing. She is, this is the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab, Athaliah. And she wipes out the entire royal line and establishes herself. But here's the point I want us to take from this. And this is really what this story is about. It's about lessons that we can learn from every single king. Lessons that we can take and we can apply in our lives from every single king. And and the first lesson, it actually comes from this princess. And that is to be courageous in chaos. Be courageous even in chaos. In the midst of all of this kind of craziness that's happening in the northern kingdom and now in the southern kingdom, bodies being killed, people being massacred, all of this, in the middle of that, one princess sees what's happening and she takes the risk of hiding this one child. Now, this is the thing. She could have easily have said, I'm not getting involved. If I try and do anything and I get caught, me and my family, we're all getting taken out. But even though that was the risk, she takes the risk of doing that and she hides this child. And I believe for us as kings at Reedy Creek, as kings in every single sphere that we're in, that we are called to be kings and priests. The Bible says in the book of Peter that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, God's own special people, that in the midst of all the chaos that you might see happening in our world today, that we are to act with courage. We are to act, we are to step out and do something because the risk is, it's not my issue. Let me just sit back. But here's the thing about Jesus. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, occupy until I return. It literally means to do business do business. This is not our time, church, to shut up shop and to hide in our parents' basement and sort of say, I don't want to get involved in all this stuff that's happening around me. No, no, Jesus says, occupy, do business, play your part. You are here for a reason. You are here in this generation for a specific reason. Just like Queen Esther, she was born into a generation at a time where at great risk to her entire people, there was an attempted genocide. They were going to wipe out all of her people. But she musters up the strength to approach the king unannounced. To approach the king unannounced, you could actually be killed on the spot if he did not extend his scepter to save you. But she steps out in courage, and as a result of that, grace is extended to her, and she saves her entire people. 
just like Daniel. They were taken into captivity uh, uh, under the Babylonians. And and a new edict was brought out. You will not worship or pray to any other God but the king. And despite that, he courageously still goes, as was his custom, to pray three times a day. And he goes and he continues to pray. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when when this new uh, announcement was made, that when you hear the music, when you hear all this, that great big statue there, you will all bow down and worship. But even in the midst of all the chaos of all of that decision, they they make a decision to stand. We are called to act with courage, even in the face of, of chaos. If we don't do this, we actually miss something. If, if the princess hadn't have done that, then that entire royal line would have come to an end. But because of her actions, they received grace. That, that line, that godly line was able to continue. Our steps of courage and faith will actually cause us to be saved. It will cause not just us, but like the four friends that carried their lame friend uh, to the house where Jesus was preaching. And because they couldn't get in, they went up the side of the house onto the roof. They cut a hole in the roof to lower their friend. And you imagine with all the crowds and all of that, they could have just said, no, no, it's too hard. Uh, We're not getting through. But they acted courageously. And because of that, they saved their friend. If blind Bartimaeus by the side of the road, if he had just stayed quiet because of all the crowds trying to silence him, he would have died blind. But because of his courage to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, that one act of courage restored his sight and he was able to follow Jesus. Church, what is it that God is calling you to do in the midst of the chaos that you are facing? Maybe it's not as dramatic as all of this stuff, but Maybe like a lot of us, maybe you wake up to chaos. Maybe you wake up to the chaos of rehearsing your to-do list. Oh my goodness, I've got that email to send, I've got that meeting to attend, I've got that person to call, I've got those bills to pay, I've got that person to settle that issue with. Maybe you wake up in the morning and even before you step out, you are overwhelmed with the chaos of what you've got to do in that day. Can I just tell you, that we are called not to succumb to the chaos, but to put courage in the midst of that. That you can actually step up and say, yes, I understand there's all of this, but I'm going to seek God first. I'm going to step in front of the presence of the living God before anything else. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to silence all of those voices, all that noise that is vying for your attention. It, It takes courage to wake up in the morning and switch this off first and foremost, and then go to this thing and say, first and foremost, I'm going to get my daily bread, that before I turn on my social media feed, I'm going to go to the Word of God and feed. I'm going to go to the bread of life and feed, because if we don't do that, then we're going to succumb to all the noise. We're going to succumb to all the chaos, but it takes courage. It takes courage for us to step out and to do something. Amen. Second thing we see after that, this courageous act, it, it, it saved, it saved this, this child and, and ended up saving the nation. It says in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, he, uh, being Joash, he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. He wasn't just hidden anywhere, he was hidden in the house of the Lord for six years 
So he comes to the throne at seven. Seven is the number of completion. At the appointed time, he comes and he takes his place. But for those six years, he's in hiding. And he's hiding in the place, in, in the house of God. And, and this really, I believe, it speaks to us preserving and protecting. That, that as Christians, we are called to preserve and protect. That every generation, there is a challenge where what we believe, what we stand for, is going to be contested. And, um, you know, this scripture, there's a scripture in the book of Joshua, which is absolutely heartbreaking. It is one of the saddest things. And the scripture basically says that after Joshua and his generation, all the leaders of his generation, after they died, a brand new generation rose up that did not know the works of God. And because they didn't know God's ways or God's works, they ended up adopting the culture and the ways and the practices of the nations around them. They became idolaters. They became worshippers of false gods because one generation dropped the ball. They did not preserve and protect what they believed. They, they, they were preoccupied. And so this brand new generation rises up. And you've got to remember, they've, they've, they've grown up in the promised land. They don't know about the slavery in Egypt. They don't know about the challenges in the wilderness. They don't know about, the, you know, all of that. Uh, all of that is a distant memory, but they rise up and they have the comfort. They're complacent. They're in the land of flowing with milk and honey. They've got all this sort of stuff. And the Bible says that they did not know the works of God, that as a church, we are called, every single believer and follower of Christ, we are called salt and light. In Jesus' time, Roman soldiers were paid not just with money, they were paid with salt. Salt was an extremely valuable commodity because salt was used as a preservative. Uh, and, and they would preserve, you know, didn't have refrigeration, but they could preserve meat, all of those things. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you are salt, he is saying, you are the ones that will preserve what I am teaching you. You are the ones that will protect it and preserve it. Without you, those things will end up becoming decay. They will deteriorate. They will rotten. Society will fall apart because you guys, you are the ones that are salt. You are the ones that are enter into the culture and not be influenced by the culture like the children of Israel in the promised land, but you guys are the ones to impact the culture around you. And we do that by intentionally preserving, intentionally protecting, just like she did, just like she did. The, I guess one of the um, greatest challenges as a parent right now is raising kids that have kind of grown up in a generation where they don't know life outside of mobile phones and the internet. And, you know, sometimes my kids will say, tell us, tell us about the old days, Dad, before the internet. Tell us about what those days. They've kind of grown up with all of that. And the influences have always been around, but, you know, now the influences are easily accessed and stuff. So it's really about us as parents, about us as church, that the voice of God is the loudest voice in their lives despite all this other stuff that's happening around them, all these other influences that are trying to pull them away from God, pull them away from these values. Our job as parents and as a church is to bring them into a place, bring them into a place like 
like Joash, who was hidden in the house of God, where they can encounter his presence. They can recognize his voice. They, they can contend with all of these other things that are trying to pull their attention away. Because every single one of us have a device in our homes that is trying to tell us a vision. That's why it's called television. If you don't have your own vision, we're going to tell it to you. We're going to tell you a different vision. We're going to capture you by a broad cast. So this thing that we're throwing out, it's designed to capture as much of you as we can. And I'm not trying to demonize all this stuff. It's the reality of life that we live in. But, but here's the thing. If, if we don't allow them to experience and encounter God for themselves, they will be easily caught away by all these other distractions. Uh, but that's on us to preserve and protect them. Just like Samuel, who grew up in the house of God. He grew up for, as a young child. He grew up in the house of God. The Bible says that his words did not fall to the ground void. Everything he spoke, it came to be. Like Jesus at 12 years old, when he was lost by his parents, and, and they found him in the temple, and he said, did you not know that I would be in my father's house doing my father's business? That, that every single one of us, we have an obligation, I believe, as believers, is to not be like that generation of Joshua where someone drops the ball and we do not raise our children in the ways of God so that they know God, but that we are intentional. And I love the fact that, um, you know, we have great Christian schools all around us like Kings, like Hillcrest, where we can partner with the school and we can partner with the church to raise our kids up in the ways of God, that we can preserve and protect them. Because here's the thing, the reason why is because the enemy often knows whenever there is a whiff of a deliverer that's coming. Let, let me tell you about a woman named Jochebed, who at a time when uh, Pharaoh had issued a decree to kill all of the male-born boys in that time, she takes her son, her little boy, and she builds a little basket, and she floats him down the Nile to save him, and he ends up becoming uh, the, the deliverer, the prince of Egypt, Moses himself. And it's interesting because it's the same thing that happens when Jesus comes. At the time Jesus comes, Herod the king is killing off all the boys, because here's, here's the thing we know, is that the enemy may not know what's happening in the future, but he gets a whiff of when there's a deliverer. He gets a whiff, because that person will bring about change for that generation. They will set people free. They will loose the captives. They will do all these things. So that time of vulnerability, those first few years, they are called to preserve and, and protect. Even in the times of Elijah, when Jezebel was killing off all the prophets, there was a gentleman by the name of Obadiah who worked for the king, and yet he hid these prophets, hid them and fed them in caves to preserve and to protect them. Every single one of us, we're called to do this, what the princess did, that she hid the child who would be king in the house of God. Thirdly, it's, uh, let me just summarize. What, what happens is Joash becomes king at seven and he grows up and he becomes a really godly king because of the counsel and advice of the priest. And his first order of business is to repair the temple. His first order of business is to reopen the house of God because it had been shut down by his grandmother, Athaliah. It was outlawed. He reopens it. And then he brings about this great work to repair it. 
this is the third thing he does, is he prioritizes God's presence. He prioritizes the presence of God. Uh, before he could do anything as king, he can uh, increase his military. He could set about building uh, more cities and kingdoms. He can enrich himself with all. He doesn't do any of that. The first thing he does is he prioritizes the presence of God. He rebuilds the things that are broken. He restores the house of God. He restores worship. He restores the, the presence of God by rebuilding the place where they would meet to encounter the presence of God. He does that first and foremost. And I believe, church, that as believers, we're called to prioritize the presence of God. The reason why we gather on Sunday in church is because Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week. So when we gather on the first day of the week, we are saying, before this week even starts, Lord, I am committing this first portion of this week to you. And then God blesses the rest. He prioritizes. It's not just an optional extra. It's not just something we do if we find time to fit it in. We are intentional, just like uh, um, the King Joash was, to prioritize the presence of God. There's this particular time where Moses is in the wilderness, and you remember after he comes down from the mountain and he finds the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf, and they're judged and all of that. And after a bit of time, God speaks to Moses, and he tells him, get up and take the children of Israel and enter the promised land. And he says, I'm going to send my angel before you, but I'm not going. And there is this incredible moment where Moses says to God, if you're not coming, we're not going. If you don't go and lead us, don't ask us to leave from here because I will not go. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying, your presence is even greater than your promise. The, the promised land is beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's got all of this great stuff. But if, you, if we don't have your promise, if we don't have your presence in the promise, then that stuff, it's, it's worth nothing. The, the reason why heaven is amazing, it's not because of immortality. It's not because of the streets paved with gold. It's not because of the sea of glass. It's not because of the pearly gates. It's not because of any of that. It's because that's where His presence is. That's where His presence is. And some of us, we settle for the promise. We settle for the stuff but we don't prioritize His presence. We don't prioritize the main thing. Just like Mary and Martha, when Jesus came to visit them, and Martha is preoccupied with all of this stuff, and all that stuff's important and needs to get done, but Mary just sits at Jesus' feet. And when Martha comes in and says, Lord, won't you tell her to come and help me? Jesus says, she's actually chosen the best part. She's actually chosen the main thing. And so church, Here's the main thing. All that stuff that we spend our times fretting over and all of that, it's all important and, and all of that. But Jesus says it this way. He says, when you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all this other stuff, it'll be added to you. Prioritize his presence. And finally, finally, Joash had a great beginning, but sadly, he actually has a tragic ending. You see, the priest, he lives a long life. He lives like 130 years. And as long as the priest is alive and advising the king, everything was great. King Joash was awesome. 
But one day the king actually, the priest actually dies. He just dies to old age. And then what happens is these other advisors come and they turn the king's heart and they get him to actually start introducing idol worship, just like the other places. And so he listens to them. And so he introduces idol worship. And then that priest has a son named Zechariah who stands up and he confronts the king. The king actually has him killed. It's really, really tragic. And so in time, the king's own people, his own people that were close to him, they actually conspire against him. They rise up and they kill him. And he actually dies as a result of that. Here's the thing that I want you to know. It's not so much how you begin, it's how you end. Uh, for a lot of people, they start really well. But like the Apostle Paul, we're called to fight the good fight of faith, to finish the race, to go all the way to the end. And, and this is the thing I know about King Joash. He was a good king. He was instructed in the ways of God. He obeyed and all of that. But I just don't believe that he made the priest king, the priest God, his God. You see, when he was instructing them to build the temple, the language he uses, I want you to do this for your God. And, and, and being a Christian is about taking what we hear, what we understand, what we believe, and making it our thing, personalizing it, that we're not just called to more information. This isn't an information session. This is really an impartation session. This is when we take the theology and we turn it into meology. We personalize it. It becomes something that we don't just know about, but we know in our hearts. It's when head knowledge becomes heart experience. That's the thing that was lacking, I guess, and we can learn the most of. Because here's the way I put it, it's explaining God is good, but experiencing God is better. We can explain God, more information, revelation, that's great. But let me tell you, there is no substitute for you experiencing God because it goes beyond words that you can articulate. It's just something about getting in God's presence. And as John chapter one says, the word becomes flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is when we take the Word of God and it becomes flesh in our lives. It's no longer just some abstract information or theology or, or, or values that we know, it becomes something real in our lives. I really believe if King Joash had done that, he wouldn't have had the tragic ending that he had but I believe that like the Bible says all the things that were written were for our learnings that were so that we can learn from these things and I believe the biggest thing we can learn don't settle for just information God wants to give you impartation don't just settle for head knowledge more Bible more theology more doctrine God wants to encounter you personally Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.